God said, let there be light. And ever since, he has been continuing to bring light into a dark world. Jesus himself came as the light of the world to destroy darkness and to change the course of history. This is Light, a three-part Christmas series about how life has changed for us now that Jesus has come to earth as a man. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Great. All right. That's good. You got a little more noise for Ryan than me, but um, I won't take it too personally. Well, hey, welcome. We are kicking off a new series today called Light. As you can tell, it's all around us. And uh, to give you a little bit of understanding of where this came from, you know, we, we have a creative team and we'll meet and I'll talk about things I want to preach about and we'll come up with a theme and, and, and we work through that. This one is different. This entire series, I'd like to say that everything we do is from God. I do hope it is. But this particular series is more so because last year I was standing on the front row as we were doing our Christmas Eve service, and we were, we were really just doing our good little traditional thing. If you guys have ever been to a Christmas Eve service, you know how it is. It's really kind of predictable, and read a few verses, sing a few carols, light a little candle. And I stood there thinking, we're doing something, and, and we, I just feel like we're missing something. There's just something not special, we're missing some power or something. And right then God spoke to me and he gave me this single theme and three thoughts that went with it. I mean, it was instantaneous and you can't have three thoughts instantaneously. That's how you know it's from God. And so that's going to be the three messages for the three weeks of this series. And so I hope that I can do justice to what the Holy Spirit's given me. I'd love to say, man, this is going to be awesome, but then I'm still involved. So we're going to do our best. Okay. And we're going to see if we can, I know God's intent was awesome. I'll give you that much. I say, we, I'm all set for this series and, and really excited about where we're going. If you were here last week, you know we had a guest speaker. And, and so as I'm getting excited about this, I, I went and messed it up last week. Maybe I did. Maybe God did. I don't really know. The guest speaker, his name was Ben, and uh, I've known Ben forever, great minister. And so I did not babysit him by saying, please send me your notes I said, hey, we're between series. You just preach on whatever God gives you. I promise you the man stole my notes. He took my entire first message. I sat here the whole first service last Sunday going, what am I going to preach now? What, what am I going to do? And it, it's really my fault. I mean, I guess I should check with all the guest speakers what they're going to do. But we can look at this in another way and say, this is what God gave me to preach this week a year ago. And then when I told him to preach on whatever God gave him for our church, he stood up and stole it and did it. So I think the first thing we should do is take notice. This is important. So what I'm going to do today is treat this a little bit like a volleyball game. Now, anybody who's ever played volleyball with me, don't laugh at me when I say this because... But anyway, we're going to treat this like, you know how somebody sets and then somebody else spikes? We're going to pretend that Ben did the set last week, and I'm going to spike this for the victory point and hope that we actually understand what God is doing. That is my intent. So last week, if you were here, you know that Ben challenged us to see. That's what the entire message was about, to see what God is doing right in front of you. And so I want us to start out with asking ourselves some questions. Here we go. The first thing is, what do you see God doing through you? And then that would lead to this question. Who do you see that God has put in your life for a reason? Which ultimately ends with this one. Do you even see your life? in that perspective at all? Is that the way you think? 
Let me be honest with you. Um, over a thousand pastors every month leave the ministry. Do you know that? There are days where this isn't the most fun job. And actually, I love my job because I've got a great church and it's a lot of fun. But every now and then you start feeling sorry for yourself because some of the jobs you have, and this happens to be one of them, I would imagine president would be similar and governor and any type of, of public official, is, is you get watched. And everybody's always expecting you to do a certain thing a certain way. And, you know, uh, you get busy. Oh, I've got to get my Bible and get back to the stage. And guess what? I walked by somebody. And so somebody's saying, Oh, the pastor didn't even greet me this morning. I can't believe that. Guess I'll be looking for a new church next Sunday. And so you live in that kind of pressure. And so honestly, there are days where you don't want to do this job. And, and there's a famous pastor who has coined the phrase over the last few years called Bread Truck Monday. Because he wakes up on Monday wishing he drove a bread truck for a living. All you got to do is go and here, here's your bread for the day. Here's your bread for the day. And you don't have to worry too much. And so you get in those moods where you think, man, I really wish I could do something where, where it didn't matter what people thought. I wish I could do something where I wasn't involved in people's lives. I wish I could have a job where it was just let me do my little thing and live in my own little world. The good news for, I hope it's good news for you, is that it doesn't last very long. Because as soon as I have that thought, what could I do where people wouldn't be important to me, is I realize that's not a life I want at all. Because see, here's the thing. I would rather have a challenging life with meaning, meaning than an easy life that's empty. And so this doesn't just mean for pastors, all of us, many of us would love to have that little job where somebody pays us. We go sit in a little cubicle. We do our thing. doesn't matter if people are happy with us. doesn't matter if we talk to people. It just, as long as we do our little thing, we get our paycheck, we go home, we close the blinds, we turn on the TV, and it's just my little life. But I know this, and I hope you do too, that regardless of what you're actually getting paid to do, a meaningful life means always trying to see what God is doing through you to people around you, to reach people. And I figure if I've got to live my entire life this way, might as well get paid to do it. There you go, right? You know, and that's the way it should be. All right, so look, as, uh, if you would, if you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 5. That's where we're going to be today. And uh, honestly, it's not very hard to connect the dots of what's going on. It's Christmas. We're in church. The thing is called light. And you just heard somebody singing the scriptures. Then Ryan got up and read other scriptures. There's only a plethora of them in the Bible. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Okay, so you can figure out where we're headed with this whole series. There are actually hundreds of scriptures in the Bible about light. And very few of them talk about a thing. Most of them talk about a person. And so... Jesus, of course. Next week, what we're going to do <clears throat> is we're going to focus on why Jesus came into the world as light. I think that's going to be special, especially for people who don't know about that yet, and we'll get to that in a minute. Today, what I want to do is set us up for the opportunity that next week actually brings. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 14 of chapter 5. If you don't know the background of where we are in Scripture at this point, this is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous teaching Jesus ever did. Huge crowd in front of him, and he begins to say, basically, I'm going to paraphrase his premise, but it's this. If you want to say you're one of my followers, your entire life is about to get turned upside down. Let me tell you how you're going to live. And then he goes through what we have as three chapters of teaching on how our lives are completely transformed. And here's what he starts out with. You, keep in mind, this is Jesus talking. Jesus talking to his followers says, you are the light of the world. Does that seem a little contradictory to everything else we just heard this morning? 
seems a little backwards from all of the verses everybody else just read about Jesus came into the world as the light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? Actually, let's back up and catch the entire verse that Jesus said that in because I only gave you half of it. What Jesus said was, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. See the caveat there? Jesus knew he wouldn't always be in the world. And Jesus knew that at best, he was going to reach thousands, maybe even tens of thousands. I mean, we, we know he fed 5,000 at once. That was a pretty good day in church, right? And then there was the other time he fed 4,000. So, so just two weeks in church alone, Jesus got 9,000 people. But the rest of the time, he was in small temples or, or hanging out in Matthew's house or pulling people out of trees, you know, those stories. And, and so all in all, he probably wasn't doing a whole lot of mega church 5,000 people meetings. If we were to, to really, really stretch it, we know we met at least 10 or 20,000 people. And if we went as far as to say that Jesus personally, while on planet Earth, reached 100,000 people, I think that would be a stretch. It's probably less. Probably only five digits. I don't think we get to give him six. And here's what he knew, is that that's all he would do in his three years. And yet, throughout all of time and all of humanity, he knew he needed to reach billions. Billions. And he knew that he alone in three years wasn't going to do that, but his followers would. That's where we come in. He says, you are the light of the world. You see, we've got the idea what makes it happy and easy for us is, well, I just got to go to church. And then Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus will reach everybody. Jesus will do all the work. I just got to show up, do my little thing. And, and then an hour later, I'm free. I'm good. This is actually not how it works. We think it works that way. Let me tell you theologically how this works. Jesus came, Jesus died on the cross. Jesus gave it to his disciples. He's in heaven. He will be back someday. In the meantime, here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit changes hearts, and Jesus' followers tell the person what the Holy Spirit is doing in their hearts. And this is why it is so important that you pray before you talk. Some of you don't have a problem talking. Some of you talk about Jesus all the time, and you don't get anywhere with it. You need to learn to pray before you talk. You need to get the Holy Spirit working. And then we talk. It's actually our job to be the light to these people. This is the other reason. When somebody's asking you questions, you answer if somebody actually is looking at you and they're wondering what's going on, hey man, tell me, wh why are you always smiling? Hey, why, why are you and your wife so happy? Hey, why are you never poor and broke? What's, what, what is it about you? The Holy Spirit is doing something right here and you need to seize the moment. You need to answer those questions because we are the light to them. He keeps going. He explains it this way. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The truth is we don't understand the analogy. I mean, it's a simple analogy, right? We can all picture it. Like some Thomas Kincaid painting, like there's a little city and then there's the little villages in the darkness. You can picture it, but we don't live it. We don't get there because we live such individualistic, isolated home lives where you go to your house and your house has all the light switches it needs and you have your direct TV or your whatever and your internet and you don't really care if the world around you is dark. Matter of fact, most of us in our garages have something that if the power goes out, we still have our own power called generators, right? Like we can do our own thing. We don't understand the analogy. I lived in Romania for a year and a half. I understand the analogy. 
in Romania, uh, in another part of the world, sometimes closer to third world, or, or things where, where the, just the entire world functions differently. This is the first thing that blew my mind. When I got there, I went to take a shower, and the cold water just kept coming, and the hot water never did. Just standing there waiting, hot water, standing there waiting, hot water. Finally, go out and ask my roommate, who was Romanian, like, how long does it take for the hot water to come? Because we've got hot water heaters in our house, right? Like, is the hot water heater broken? He said, oh, no, no, here in Romania... The city sends the hot water. The city has a plant. They make all the hot water. They send it down the pipes. And he said, they don't do that today. What do you mean they don't do that today? Yet we get hot water from 8 to 9 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Like your life is, unless you really like cold showers, your life is dependent upon the city that you're attached to. And the power was the same way. If the city, and this was the craziest one, I got there and it snowed on October 8th. It did not melt until April. Guess what else the city does? They turn on the heat November 1st and they don't care about the snow that comes before it. So you're in your, you're, even though you've got the radiators, it's not there where you can do anything about it. The heat that comes through those radiators to re- heat your apartment comes from someone else. They control when it comes. And you live in the cold. You can't even get in the shower to warm up from October 8th all the way to November 1st because the city is your source of everything. And they understood this back then because every little village and every little home didn't have everything that we have today. Matter of fact, your home probably has more than a city did in Jesus' day. So it's hard for us to grasp this. But if you can, just imagine that you're in Romania with me. You don't get heat unless someone in the city goes and turns it on and sends it down the pipes. You don't get hot water unless someone in the city turns on the, the machine and sends it down the pipes. You don't get anything. Now let's relay that to light. We can walk into our room at any moment, flip a switch, there you go. But imagine if you walked into your room, flipped a switch, and said, oh, well, nothing happened. It's going to still be dark because the city has not decided to give us this light. You see, the analogy that Jesus gave is because they didn't have electricity, they didn't have light switches, and so because a city was more populated... Every house would be lighting lanterns and every business, every street would have a lantern on the corner or something. And that would create a glow that would bounce off of the atmosphere. And so if you lived in little villages or little farms nearby, the only light that you really had was what you saw glowing over the atmosphere from the city. It was a city set on a hill to light everything. And what Jesus is saying is because you are the light of the world, you are like a city that sits on a hill. He's essentially saying this, God has positioned you in the world like a city on a hill. You see, a city is the influential point. It's a marker for everything that surrounds it, all the suburbs, right? If you're the city, you're surrounded by suburbs. He actually has set you on a hill among a population that looks to you for light. Your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, your families. I know you go to some of those family reunions and you think, man, this family is going to hell faster than anything. Right? You don't really say that out loud. I just read your thoughts for you. Of course, it's dark. That's why God puts you there. That's why God puts you in that neighborhood. God puts his children in these places to be light to people that aren't getting light any other way. There will be no other light. When the city turns it off, you need to ask yourself this, where has God put you? Here's what I mean by that. Where is there total darkness that God created you 
and dropped you in the middle and said, let there be light. It's kind of famous for that phrase, by the way. Do y'all know that? Stand on the hill and look around you. Can you do that with me? Imagine if you just closed your eyes for a minute and you just stood on a hill of your life and you start to look around and you see this neighbor and you see this coworker and you see this family that lives across the street. You see this uncle, you see this cousin. You can open your eyes. Who are those people that are looking to you for light and without you there is none? I know you go away from spending time with those people. Sometimes you're just shaking your head saying, man, I just don't even like being around those people. They're so depressing. They bring me down. They're so frustrating. Yeah, because they need us. They need us to bring that light. He goes on to say, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all that are in the house. Jesus continues painting this incredibly obvious picture. You put a lamp where there is no light, where you need light. He puts us in places where we're actually needed. Your life is not just about going about your life. Your life is about a place where you have been positioned to intentionally bring a light where there is none. It's the whole point. And we get this idea that God gave us our job for our income. No, God gave you your job because you work with people who are in darkness and need light. You think God put you in your neighborhood because it's a pretty house. No, God put you in your neighborhood because your neighbors need to know him. It's a dark place and they need light. And as far as your schools go, my goodness, if you haven't been there lately, you don't even need me to tell you about why God puts believers as teachers and guidance counselors and students in that place. In the same way, verse 16 Jesus sums up his little passage. So you're the city on the hill. And just like we wouldn't hide a lamp, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Many of you have heard this before. It shows up on Christmas cards. If you went to vacation Bible school as a kid, it's one of the first verses you ever memorized. It's in song after song after song. Some of them are pretty cheesy, just to be honest. But we get caught. Even if you know this verse, some of you, your smile already left, because we get caught on two words out of the entire passage. Good works. And as soon as you get hung up on those two words, you fall into one of two groups of people. You see, the first group are the, the people who, who, who know that they are not doing good works. They know it. Here's what I believe about the enemy. The enemy loves if we don't believe God and don't live for his purposes. But if you were for some reason to actually believe God is real and try to live for his purposes, then he comes in with the next one to say, you're not good enough to do God's purposes for your life. He loves it when people go, oh, my good works, my good works aren't very good. I'm just going to hang out over here like a little dim light bulb in the corner, like a little accent light, not really giving off any. The other group of people are the ones who say, oh, good works. That's right. Be perfect. I'm going to try really hard. Then I'm going to try even harder. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to be as good as I can be. 
And you know you're not. But you're going to try again the next day. You're going to try to be as good as you can be. And you honestly think it's about something you are earning. And it's about something that you are actually doing. You actually have the idea that you are one of those lights that's on a dimmer switch. And the better that you perform every day, the more God turns up the little dimmer switch. And you just keep getting brighter and brighter. And God's looking at you like, oh, you're such a good child. You're better than all the other ones over here. You're messed up. Just so you know. We're actually all messed up. I don't want us to get hung up on those two words. I want to try to set the intent straight. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, let your light shine that they would give glory to the Father. And the enemy comes in and says, let me use two words and condemn you. God's intent was incredibly simple. When he said, let them see your good works, he didn't say, let them see your perfection. He didn't say, let them see that no bad word ever comes out of your mouth. What he said was, let them see as you live your life, my light reflect off of you. Let them see that I am your actual source. Here's what it actually means. It means pointing to the ultimate light so that it all reflects off of you and and it gives light to others. It's not about being perfect. What it is is about pointing to light in your darkest moments. If you want people to see your good works, it goes like this. When your company comes and says, hey, we're going to have to do some layoffs. I'm sorry to tell you, you're one of them. Instead of going into deep darkness and panicking with everybody else, you look at your coworkers and say, that's all right, man. God's got something good for me. And when a smile comes on your face in the midst of that dark moment, you have shown them what real light is. You don't have to do anything to be perfect. When you come down with something and you're sick, and, and your, your, your coworker or your neighbor looks at you and goes, oh man, I'm sorry to be you. You look at me and go, that's all right. It just gives me more time to talk to God and to pray. And, and I'm going to see a move in my life. When the doctor tells you that your life is coming to an end. I mean, that one's a serious one. But can we just be honest? It's going to happen to every one of us. If you don't realize you're leaving planet Earth at some point in time, So the only real question is, when we're leaving planet Earth, are we giving glory to God as a midst of it? Or are we angry about how or when it's happening and leaving in bitterness and darkness? Those are really your only two choices. You don't control the day and you don't control the circumstances. The only thing you get to control is how much light you're bringing into that dark moment. That's the only thing in your hands. What about your marriage? When your marriage is having one of those incredibly dark moments, do you turn to the light, point to the light? Or do you allow that darkness to invade your entire soul? You see, when people worship God and trust God in the midst of the greatest darkness, what you reveal to the world around you is the greatest source of light. This whole idea of good works isn't about you being perfect. It's not about the grades you make in school. It's not about the bumper stickers on your car with Bible verses. It's not about the way you act. It's about worshiping God as light in the midst of your greatest darkness. You'll have no better work than that, by the way, ever. This is where I really want to come back to what Ben was trying to get us to do last week as he's really talking about this idea of, of what we see This whole idea of being the light of the world. Because he stood here and and he stood right here last week and said, this idea of you reaching people is not about what you should do. 
Because we all feel bad when somebody starts telling us you should be doing this and you should be doing that because we already know we're not good enough. This isn't about what you could do or what you should do. I want us to see something. I want to ask you a question. Do you remember the darkness? Do you? Some of you do. You tell me the stories. Some of you were addicted. Some of you have told me the stories. You were strung out. Some of you had just lost your family and your spouse and you, you, you had nothing left to live for. Some of you, your darkness was that you thought you had nothing to live for and you sat there with something in your hand about to do something about it. Some of us, maybe not those kind of circumstances, but every Friday night and every Saturday night was filled with things that we thought were fun for a minute, but we went home feeling empty and ashamed of ourselves. Even though we didn't really care much about God, somehow shame was still a part of it. Do you remember the darkness? If you do, the question is, do you see the people around you that are there? This is not about what you should do. This is about the compassion that comes out of you. When you see somebody around you that's filled with the same anxiety, and they're, they just can't handle, what if I get fired? What am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this job? Uh, what about this bill? Oh, oh my gosh, my husband, what about this? And, and, my, and, and they just live like this. You used to be there. What about the person that you see that's filled with depression? What about the person that you see that's filled with hate? They come into work every day and all you can see on them is how they're being eaten up inside for what their ex-husband did to them or what their mother did to them 42 years ago. Seriously? When are we going to get free? When the light of the world beside them sets them free. That's when. My hope is not that we walk away with a bunch of shoulds and coulds and whatever, but my hope is that we will see the opportunity that's before us. We right now, thanks to our culture and our calendar coming together, have in front of us one of the two great annual opportunities we have to share Jesus with people. You see, the world hurts, and people are spiritually hungry. And you've heard me tell you this before, but every Easter and every Christmas, people go somewhere to meet that need. They will go somewhere. And the truth is, they will just go to some random place on some random street corner, sit alone on a pew in the back corner, and they may or may not get much out of it. Not judging any of those situations. But it'll have a lot to do with where the light is. The opportunity that's before us is to bring light to somebody's darkness. Not because you should and not because you ought and because I'm taking names and going to give awards to whoever brings the most guests. That's not. It's about you looking around and actually feeling the compassion for the darkness that's in them. Jesus did this. Jesus was tired. Jesus was exhausted. And Jesus tried to get away. But he stumbled upon a crowd. And he said that he felt the compassion for them. And he began to pour out for them. Out of himself. Even though it wasn't what he was aiming for at the moment. He was aiming for, let me just get away and do my own thing. Kind of like we are Friday afternoon, 6 o'clock. Getting through the traffic. Run to the grocery store. Get your thing. I just want to get home. And then you see the person that's checking out your food in the grocery store. You're like, oh, come on. God, I was almost home. Yeah. 
the light to the dark world. Can I just tell you what next week is like? Y'all do realize Christmas is almost here, don't you? If you haven't done your shopping yet, you're in trouble. Next Sunday is what we call Christmas Sunday, meaning it's the closest Sunday to Christmas. Let me tell you what it's like. There was a gold rush in our country. If you know your history very well, there was a time where you did not have to go digging into the side of the mountain and digging and digging and digging. And after hours of chiseling rock, you come across a tiny little thing that might be worth a few hours of your work. No, no, no. There was a gold rush in our nation where people could literally walk up to a stream and go, look at all that gold just laying there. All year long, reaching people in darkness, honestly, is like taking that pickaxe to the rock. And over and over, hey man, praying for you. Hey man, can I take you to lunch? Hey man, would you come to church with me? Hey, I've got a Bible study. Would you come to that? Hey, would you join our men's group? And you keep hearing, no, I'm not interested. No, I'm not interested. Christmas Sunday is like walking up to the stream. People are hungry. People are going somewhere. The question is, will they go with a friend who will be praying with them, praying for them, maybe take them to lunch, maybe help them connect the dots that Jesus is their light that they've been looking for? All you got to do, reach down into the stream and pull it out. I want to close today, hopefully, by inspiring you with a story. It's a story of when what Jesus said to one of the darkest people we know in Scripture. Funny thing is this dark man eventually ended up writing a lot of our Scripture, but he lived in great darkness because he spent his life killing Christians, persecuting Christians, and coming after them. And Jesus radically transformed his life. His name was Paul. Knocked him flat, blinded him, and spoke to him from heaven. Merged the two worlds of heaven and earth at the exact same time. And this is what Jesus said to him that I believe Jesus would say to us today. Now get to your feet. It's a good thing to say to a blind man. For I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and as my witness. You are to tell the world what you've seen and what you will see. You don't need to tell them all the doctrines and the things you don't know. You don't need to worry about what they're going to ask about what verse is in this chapter of the Bible. We don't speak because we're afraid of what we don't know. He didn't even tell Paul about that. He said, look, here's all you got to tell them. Tell them what you've seen. You know the darkness you lived in. You know the light you live in. That's all you need to be concerned about. And I will rescue you. There's your promise from both your own people and the Gentiles. Let me put that in context. Gentiles just means those who don't believe. I'm going to rescue you from the people around you that are going to attack you for actually caring about Jesus. Y'all know how that goes, right? You start to stand up for Jesus. You actually start to talk about him a little bit. Your own family, your own friends, your own people begin to attack you. And as you know, those who are not your own people also. Jesus promises this. I'm going to rephrase that sentence for you. I will rescue you from those within and those without. I've got your back. Yes, I am sending you to open their eyes 
so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God. And then, because you are the light of the world, they will receive forgiveness for their sins and you, they will be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. You are a city on a hill. What person or family lives in the darkness surrounding you that is looking to you for light this Christmas? I hope we will see the opportunity and I hope we will be the light. It's our one chance. Are you with me? You've got three on your chair. Put them to good use. Gives everybody everything they need to know about how and when and where. Christmas Sunday as well as Christmas Eve service. They're not the same. You might want to bring them to both or bring them to either or. Some people will say, oh, no, 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 I just do Christmas Eve. That's great. We're going to be here. Use the cards. We've got thousands if you've got more than three friends. Feel free. Take them with you. I've spent this whole morning talking about Jesus talking to you as his followers, how you are the light. But I want to make another point as well. Some of us may not be the light yet. Some of us may not have yet exchanged our life of darkness for the one that God has for us. And I want to help you do that if you've never done that. It's a very simple thing. You're not going to have to stand up or be embarrassed. We're just going to pray right where we're seated. And, and you're going to have an opportunity to say, I don't want to live this dark life filled with fear and worry and depression and meaninglessness. But I want to have a life of meaning. If you've never done that, I want to pray with you. Would you all just join me right now in prayer? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came into the world to be light. And I want to be light in this world. I want to be filled with your light. And I thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your forgiveness that brings me into your kingdom. And my simple hope is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.